And we're live. Welcome back to another episode of the Blasters and Blades podcast. I got it right this time. I know Doc's listening. So, hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, we're going to let, uh, first, we're obviously, we're doing a fireside chat. And uh, I'm going to let our guests introduce themselves. So we're going to start, you know, Brady Bunch Squares, and we're going to start with you, Griff. So can you tell our listeners and viewers who you are? So I'm Griffin Barber. I write science fiction, fantasy, and a little bit of horror. I uh, have been privileged to write a couple of uh, noirish uh, tales, uh, both on my own and with Casey Azell, uh, who's uh, done some amazing work within, uh, with editing anthologies and producing those anthologies for Bane Books. And I've been lucky enough to be in those as well. Uh, I'm a huge fan of noir in general. Uh, uh, L.A. Confidential, one of my favorite films, uh, Mulholland Falls, same thing, and then some of the more uh, older films as well, that, uh, The Third Man, that kind of thing. So I, I really enjoy the genre and, and hope to be able to make a few additions to the discussion tonight. All right. And then next, uh, we've got Miss Hinkley Korea. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers? Hi, I'm Hinkley Korea. I have write sci-fi and fantasy, and I've written... Uh, one short story for the Norfin Fatal Anthology, because I really like noir. And then, um, yeah. I'm so All right, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> so uh, last but not least, we have Miss Casey Azell. Hi. Uh, yeah. Can you introduce uh, Yes. Yes, I can introduce myself. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, uh, I'm Casey Zell. Uh, I write science fiction, fantasy, um, and noir. Um, I, uh, like Griffin said, um, I have been very fortunate to edit two um, really awesome noir anthologies that came out from uh, Bain. The first one was Noir Fatale, and it focused on the archetype, the character archetype of the femme fatale uh, in noir and, and science fiction and fantasy, um, kind of a mashup type situation. And then uh, the second one that just came out in September um, is uh, No Game for Nights. And that one focuses on the character archetype of the noir detective, because, you know, we got to do like the whole equal time thing, right? Give, give, the, give the dudes their day in the sun. Um, and, uh, and that one um, was also just a ton of fun. Um, and I was very, very fortunate to receive stories uh, from both Griffin and Hinckley for the first one, from Griffin from the second one. And spoiler alert, there will be a third one. And there are stories from Griffin and Hinckley's over there. Uh, this is okay. <laughs> Hinckley's over there um, uh, uh, in the third one as well. So, um, so look for that coming from Bane Books in uh, the future. Outstanding. So uh, Doc is would call you genre fluid because you never stay in one place for very long. Yeah. It's like you have Project ADD and you're just sure. like, oh, shiny new thing over here. Uh -huh. yeah, <laughs> uh, and how, then as totally a point of order, I believe it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. You're having fun, right? Yeah, so uh, I, as I a quick point of as a quick point of order, you did say day in the sun and I thought the sun didn't shine in noir. Oh, no, it does. Because otherwise, how do you get those beautiful shadows that like run across the woman's face? Oh, this is true. This is true. You, you beat me with science. That's cheating. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and if you haven't guessed, dear listener, the topic today uh, was brought to you by the urging of our current guest, Mr. Griffin Barber, because uh, we're going to talk about all things noir, because uh, he's an absolutely in love with the topic. So to get this started and then feel free to like run with the ball and you know steal the mic, I'm okay with that. Do you think noir is a genre, a subgenre, or just an aesthetic? Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, it actually ticks all of those boxes, I think. Uh, it, uh, and his, historically, it came about as a film genre uh, in post-war uh, Europe and uh, somewhat in the States, but mostly in, the Fr in French cinema where they had no budget. Uh, so they had, you know, to, to make a set work or make a location work, one light, that was it, work with what you got, one light, one camera, and it became a very much a, an aesthetic that uh, has informed everything that's come after that. And there was always, you know, usually it was 
a minimalist cast as well. Uh, and uh, kind of, uh, I, I just love it. I, I love it. And it, yes, I think it's all three of those things. And that's one of the reasons why the anthologies that Casey put together uh, work so well is because it, it's very fluid. You can go ahead and, uh, you know, you can, we had everything from urban fantasy, high fantasy, uh, uh, science fiction, near, near, you know, hard science fiction, all of these things that are available in the noir genre and crime stuff, just, and a, a ghost story, uh, which is what Hinckley did. So, I mean, it, it's all uh, possible. So, yeah, I think it's uh, all of the above. Yeah, I think I, I would agree with, with what Griffin said about it. You know, it's, it, it's, it can be all of the above, right? Um, it, I had, uh, Mona Lisa Foster is another author and, and she was asking me about this one time. She said, so is it just like a skin where, you know, as long as you, include the noir elements, does that make it a noir story? And not necessarily. However, if you don't include those elements, I would argue it isn't a noir story um, because it is as much about the aesthetic of the light and shadow, the, the metaphor of you know, the, the uh, shadowy side of society and the literal shadow as in you know, something is blocking the light. Um, and uh, it's as much about that as it is about the characters and the plot and, you know, the mystery and, and the search for the truth um, as, you know, as the story goes along. Um, but what really, in my mind, what really makes it a noir story is that it has to have that feel, that essence. It has to be, it has to be somewhat, <laughs> like cynically hopeful, I guess, is kind of how I how I think of it in that it doesn't necessarily have a happy ending, but it has a ha an ending that doesn't isn't soul crushing, even in defeat, if that makes sense. Um, and uh, and I think that's what I love about it, because, you know, I um, I mean, I don't think maybe I'm a cynical person. I don't know. I, I, I have a tendency sometimes to be pretty cynical, but I try to always remain hopeful as well that, you know, humanity is essentially good and people are not all jerks and, you know, the future, the future is not bleak, like unrelentingly, you know what I mean? So, um, uh, so yeah, I think that's, that's one of the things that I love about, about the genre as a whole. So, so yeah, I call it a genre. Um, you know, when when taken as a whole, when when you look at all of the stories together, but it's also a cool subgenre in that, like Griffin said, it mashes up really well with almost any other, um, almost any other genre. I mean, I've seen and you've seen, um, and you're gonna think I'm crazy, but you've all seen this movie, uh, a fantastic noir children's story, in the form of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It hits all of the notes, and it's a kid's story, and it's a cartoon, and it's fantastic. Um, so yeah, so it's a genre, they're a genre taken as a whole, they can be a subgenre in that they can be mashed up. Um, and it's an aesthetic too, um, because of the, the very visual and visually informed, um, elements that, that so often show up to great effect in those stories. Uh, I think it's, I think yeah. it's both. To be honest, if that makes sense, where it's if you have noir with all of like the tropes, but you don't have like the aesthetic that it's just kind of a mystery. But if you have like the noir aesthetic without any of like the tropes and the stories, it's just kind of pedantic. <laughs> Dark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You said Bonus that points because pedantic is one of my favorite words. <laughs> I, I mean, that's always a win. So do you have a preference with it as its own genre standalone as a skin for other kinds of stories or as an aesthetic? Like do you, as a creative yourself who are writing stories in a space, do you have a preference? Uh, I mean, I like to mash it up. I do. I mean, obviously I do. If, if I've, you know, edited now going on three anthologies that are, that are noir mashups. Um, because it because it does play so nicely with other genres, I think. Um, so um, I guess I yeah I, I think that's probably personally in my own work. I think that's probably my preference is how can I take a story that is a science fiction or a fantasy story and give it that give it that noir edge, right? Um, 
in, introduce the shadow into it, make it, make it dark, make it gritty, but also still hopeful at the same time. Well, and I, I don't know about the hopeful thing, but what I, what I do know is, is that the, the protagonists or, uh, or even the antagonists are interested in doing it despite the consequence. Yeah. They're, they're, they're adhering to their own code. Code, right. And regardless of the, the, the effing cost to them uh, uh, and to society, it's because their code is what you know counts. Uh, it, it's one of the things that's also kind of cool about it is that it, it, it lends itself very strongly to either very close third person or uh, first person uh, narrative. You know, that's a really good point and one that I didn't think about because, but I think that's probably one of the reasons why I also, you know, like it really, the, the genre really vibes with me is because I do write in very close point of view and, um, and I'm always trying to get you know, further behind the eyes of my character. And so, um, you know, and I mean, you, you see it in, you know, it's like, and that, you know, it's like, um, you know, the old Spencer for hire TV show where you have like the voiceover of Spencer's like thought process, you know, um, being able to like hear that when you're writing something or when you're reading something, I think is, is, um, is very cool. Yeah. I, okay. That was one of the things too, is that, when you look at the, the across the genres and things like that, I mean, uh, between the, the two anthologies, I wrote a high fantasy uh, story about a necromancer conducting a heist. And uh, Casey's story in the first one was uh, a post-World War II. No, World War. I can't, I can't remember now. Your, your story in the first one. Futuristic World War. Yeah. Yeah, futuristic World War uh, post thing for that. And then Hinckley's was a ghost story. And set in Japan, and and I'm not really even sure about the era. Uh, it's gonna be like ten minutes in the future, five minutes right. in the future. Yeah. So, so, so the right there, but just just between the three of us in the one book in the one anthology, we had three different, you know, vastly different settings. Mm -hmm. uh, were they all worked, and you know, they they all were uh, suitable to the genre because they, you know, they 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 fit. Uh, and they also had different protagonists, uh, you know, in that particular instance, we had the, uh, for the noir fatale, we had the, the femme fatale was the, the one character we kind of should have included uh, mm -hmm. in that process. And we all had three different, very different <laughs> uh, female uh, femme fatales. Um, yeah. So it's, it's pretty cool. The, the things you can do with it, uh, you know, you can have horror that's uh, noir um, all sorts of really fascinating stuff that you can play around with. Do you mind if I ask Hinkley a question real quick? I've actually been wondering this for a reason. Not at all. And now I kind of have her captive. <laughs> so, um, so one of the things that I loved so much about, about your story in Noir Fatale was that it was a Japanese ghost story. Um, and it really illustrates to me some of the versatility of the genre, like we were talking about. You know, Griffin said it it originated in in France in film, thus, you know, the noir literally means like black or dark in French, right? So um so you know, there's the European influence, you know, we've got obviously a lot of American cultural influence, but it worked really well in this sort of Japanese cultural um uh mythology. Um, what, how, like, what made you think of that and, and why, why did it feel noir to you, I guess? Well, my thing is I'm an anime nerd, so I, Japan yeah. is kind of a cool location for me, but then you get into like some of the stuff and it just works really well for noir. Like if you read stuff about Tokyo as like there's some wild stuff that goes there where it's like super modern that fits super well within the like genre. Mm -hmm. And then so there's like, cause the ghost is something that's like an actual like ghost Japanese ghost story. And it, mm -hmm. it fits with the whole femme fatale thing and it fits off and it like already fits the tropes and it's just yeah. interesting. Yeah, fully agree. Fully agree. Um, 
it was uh, it was very cool for me having read that story to then move to Japan and live there and kind of um, get immersed a little bit in Japanese culture and folklore. Um, and the more I learned, the more I agree with you. Yeah, there's something about if I can if I can make a generalization here, and I, I know how dangerous those can be, but if I can make a generalization here, there's something about Japanese culture, pop culture, like the, the mythos that they create that I think works very well with that whole light and shadow duality of, you know, well, they love, like they love, you know, cute animated characters. They're everywhere, but they also are really into like, you know, really dark and brooding emotional heroes, you know? <laughs> Oftentimes well, in the same thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and that, and that it feeds into that code of conduct, the yeah. the self, you know, selfless devotion to something other than yourself. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. The, it's and, very, it, it works very well with Bushido, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's, and, that's a really good point. I didn't think about that. It, well, and that that's part of the reason why I think that the, the Japanese are huge fans of noir. Yeah, as well. Yeah. Like they, they, it's one of those niches that they uh, enjoy. So. We yeah, need it's, a new word like noir, noir anime. <laughs> but there's because there's a lot of them, you know, there's a lot of, of, of anime titles that that totally fit the genre, totally fit the aesthetic, totally fit the, the mood and the vibe and the yeah. Well, like even like some of the most famous ones, like stuff like Cowboy Bebop, mm -hmm. it's just like slightly lighter noir. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the that's the other aspect of it too, and the, the, one of the things that you know any culture that that uh, has kind of gone through the things that the, theirs has, uh, and they will develop a uh, an ethos or a, a mythos around uh, you know certain figures that uh, rebel against society, but but only so much. Yeah, right? they're still identifiable as a member of that society, and. Uh, in particular, when it talk, comes to like criminality and, and that kind of stuff, which is a, another major trope of most um, noir, is that there's a the government's on one side, the the, you know, the rock and the hard place. The government's on one side, the criminal organization's on the other side, and here is our antagonist in the middle with some shady characters on both sides. They don't know who to trust, uh, and they have to make decisions based on their gut instinct regarding what to do, what's best, their personal code kind of thing. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, 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 I love the, you know, James Elroy, everything James Elroy wrote. It's amazing. He's got more coming out and I'm excited about it. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. But you're more of a, uh, drawing a blank on, uh, what's the author you always kind of talk about? Chandler, uh, Raymond Chandler. Raymond Chandler yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Raymond Chandler is is yeah. um, he's he's definitely like my my noir exemplar, right? He's, I mean, the guy could turn a phrase. I'm not kidding when I say he makes my skin shiver with his prose. You know, um, I mean, he, he writes things like, "She was a blonde, a blonde to make a bishop kick through a stained glass window." Like who who thinks like that? You know, um, but it's. It's a guy who's known a lot of bishops, obviously. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe he's familiar with a lot of bishops. I don't know. Um, but it's like, you know, stuff like that where you just drink it in. Um, one of my favorite ones of his was, and I'm going to mess it up um, unless I look it up. But it's, it's like, you know, it, it's, he, he goes on along the lines of, you know, I needed a, I needed a break. I needed some sleep. I needed a vacation. I needed a million dollars in a house on the hill. What I had was a hat, a coat, and a gun. I put them on and went out to work. You know, like, like you know, you know, with 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 pros like that, you know. And everybody's felt everybody's felt that way. Yeah. Garbage man to to neurosurgeon. <laughs> yes, like we have all felt that way. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it comes back to that very tight point of view where you're like, yeah, bro, I feel you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I know exactly where you're coming from with that. Um, but it, you know, it's just, it's so evocative. Um, so yeah, uh, Chandler was, so I, I think I fell in love with Noir before I knew what it was. And, but once I started like, oh, there's a name for this and oh, okay. And Chandler was one of the first 
novelists, noir novelists that I picked up and started reading. And, and, um, and so, yeah, he's, he's my favorite. He's perpetually on the list of people that I'd like, like people, if you could have lunch with anybody dead or alive, like Raymond Chandler's on my list. <laughs> so one thing I noticed, and you, you talked about this, and it sort of fits with my understanding of noir, is that it was generated out of post-war hardship, but mostly the hardship. And if you look at the people <clears throat> who was coming out of that war, they also survived in living memory, the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. So do you think that noir has to come from that place of people who have experienced that? Uh, and do you think it can continue uh, in a economy that isn't struggling? Um, do you think that genre aesthetics will appeal to people when times are good? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, but I think it's going, I, I, I'm trying to, I'm trying to decide if you could do like a, a legit, you know, hero's journey type story where you have the the young hero starts knowing knowing nothing, very unspoiled, and and have it be a legit noir story. And I I think you could, but you would have to you'd have to kind of. It's going to be a longer story. It's going to be a much longer story, um, and and you're going to have to you're going to have to some of the things that the the typical noir hero does for himself. You're going to have to have other characters to do for this young hero if you're going to do it. Um, because again, it, it all comes back to that that feeling of of understanding that there is there is light and there is shadow in the world. There is there is good and there is evil. There is there is duality in everything, and you can't have one without the other. And that's not an understanding that we are necessarily born with or have when we're young and innocent, and someone else is taking care of all of the things for us. You know what I mean? Like you, you kind of have to have a little bit of experience of the world to, um, to really grok that on a, on a deep personal level. Well, and, you know, one of, the things, one of the things about, you know, there's generally, unless we're talking about like a Star Trek universe, there is no uniformity of economic wealth. Yeah. There's always going to be some reason you could set it in that, you know, they didn't get along very well or they had a hard time of it. Um, one of the better examples from that is, is more as a modern kind of noir story, uh, but may not fit all of the tick all of the boxes, but is uh, uh, Denzel Washington Training Day. Mm. Take this guy who's experienced, he's a cop, he knows what he's doing, and he gets put into this environment. And now all of a sudden, everybody's a, a, frankly a shitbag. <laughs> Uh, not just the guys they're after, but the guy that he's working with and the people that he's training. He has to figure a way out of this and he's being set up to, to fail and everything else like that. So, uh, you know, but again, that's more of a, you know, it's certainly modern. It's within the last decade, I believe. And so it has that. Oh. Go ahead. Oh. So it has that that ethos of or the current economic strata where it's you know we're, we have we've had a better time of it than say the greatest generation back in you know that survived through the depression and World War II, um, but you know if you find you can find the setting for it, but yeah you're right it it, it requires us one of the things about it usually is is that the 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 protagonist is a human being who has some experience and may or may not have been uh, abused by that experience. Yeah. And they've learned things from that experience that have informed their code and formed the way they respond to the world, which is why the first person narrative or the very close third person narrative are really essentials because you get into their head as to why they're responding the way they are to the, to what's going on. So, uh, so here's my, here's my, um, <laughs> here's my academic background uh, in English literature coming out to play, right? Like you have to impose, this is one of the things also that I really like about noir is because it isn't, you can't, you, you have to do finagling to do a Marxist read on it, right? It isn't about class struggle. It isn't. It's about the fact that humanity within ourselves has that dichotomy, that discrepancy between you know, our good impulses and our bad impulses. So it doesn't matter if, you know, you're at the top of the economic strata or at the bottom, or if there is no economic strata and everything's very like level playing field. 
um, within the setting of your story. If your characters are human, and even if they're human analogs who are aliens, <laughs> they're, if they're well-rounded characters, they're going to have both light and dark to their personalities. And that is the place where that, that shadow, shadow and light metaphor really points to, I think. So I guess what I was asking was less about the universe itself, because obviously if the, the author is creative, any situation can work. Yeah. What I was asking was more, um, you know, at least Casey and Griffin and I are of, of enough of an age that we have living memory of people that survived the Great Depression, even if they died when we were young. And so do you think someone who doesn't have that visceral knowledge of suffering and hardship can understand enough of what noir is to actually competently write it? So I'm going to I'm going to be very presumptuous. Point, point at Hinkley here. Yeah, and I'm going to. So so Hinkley is how old are you now, hon? 22. 22. Yeah. Yeah. Hinkley's 22 years old. She's grown up in a in a great family. That's not to say that she hasn't struggled, but you know because um, you know she's she, she's uh, she has everyone does, um, but she's grown up in a great family. She's always had a secure home. Always had enough to eat. And she wrote a fantastic noir story where the characters do have, you know, that knowledge that just because I have these things doesn't mean that everyone else has these things. Right. Does that make sense? But she has the living knowledge of, oh, go ahead. Well, but, but that goes back to, she didn't have to, nobody has to suffer it themselves if they have the living knowledge and her dad did not grow up in a lap of luxury. So she has that connection to what it is to, to not do well. If that so makes are sense. you, that are you the, asking me the if a third generation millionaire could write a noir story? <laughs> yes. Do you think it would be believable? Yes, I think so. Because here's the thing. Everybody struggles. Yeah. Everybody True. has struggled. The hardest thing that you have ever done is still the hardest thing that you have ever done, you know? And if you are, if you are, creative enough and observant enough and you're interested enough in the noir genre, you're going to seek out um, knowledge that's going to inform that type of, of story for you. You know, I mean, if you, if you want to get right down to brass tacks, you know, my, I came from a, a upper middle class family household. My parents both came from upper middle class households. Their parents both came from upper middle class households for the time that they were in. Like, you know, it's, but, but it's, I love, but I love the, the genre because again, it's, it reflects the truth of human nature that for all of us, there is, there is light and there is shadow. I, I think another part about writing noir for me at least is that like, I have the advantage of being not sheltered, if that makes sense. Like, I, because my parents have like very much have all kind of always treated me like an adult where it's like, if we're, we have like conversations at the dinner table about like stuff like economics and, and stuff like that. And it's, I know a lot of people who have had different struggles about like finances or different parts of their or like struggles with their family or other things like that. So I think that that's one of the more important things is to just. Well, and, and being able to just, you know, be empathetic enough to put yourself in another person's shoes. It, it's kind of easy to figure out. And especially when you're, you know, you're driven as, uh, you know, a big consumer of a, uh, of uh, a certain genre or uh, a, you know genre that is so well uh, to illustrated, <laughs> but anime is really really carefully defined roles, uh, and there's there's a lot of playing with those roles and the characters and the, that kind of thing. But it is, I mean, like one of the things that most fa my daughter is of a generation with Hinkley, uh, a, a few years younger, but she, same thing. Like th they just they pick this stuff up by observing the, the, the quality of the, sh of the shows that they have. Like when, when Casey and I were growing up, there weren't a lot of shows out there that we could watch to get like a really good grip on the on science fiction genre stuff anyway. Because um, most of it was played down or, or played, you know, stupid 
as opposed to, you know, hey, we're just making this awesome thing for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's one of the coolest things about this, I think, is, yeah, it, it, you know, in, in any writing, it, you know, I've never been a drug addict. So, I, but I can still write about a drug addict mm-hmm. uh, from their point of view, because I have tried to, you know, put my mindset where they're at. Um, that kind of thing. But yeah. you've worked with them in your civilian job, which gives you that exposure, I think. Yeah. Well, again, you've got the hands-on. But so I haven't. I, I've got, before we go to the... And I've done the same thing. It's It really is about observation and learning, you know? Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I was going to ask a Hinkley question. We're going to pause that since she uh, lost her connection for a second. And uh, Griffin, if you could do us the honor of the commercial read, because this is the uh, anthology all three of you are in, so... How could we not make it the sponsor? <laughs> oh, and I still love that cover. The audible book cover, uh, the audio book cover, instead of the the full uh, the full effect of the, full the uh, cover. of the full cover. <laughs> um, she's she's a she's a very um, shapely cover model. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm while he's doing the read, I will get that and we will fix this. <laughs> Noir Fatale, fate is the ultimate dark lady. Noir, the silky note of a saxophone. The echoes of a woman's high heels down a deserted asphalt street. Steam rising from city vents. A man with a gun. A dame with a problem. The femme fatale. She's got a siren song that has lured many away from the light and into the dark underbelly of society. It's a place where the doing the right thing doesn't necessarily mean you get the big bucks. Or the girl. You do the right thing anyway, knowing the truth. Women twist the knife deeper. Here are tales haunted by that compelling and dangerous female archetype. From straightforward, hard-boiled detective story to dark urban fantasy to the dirty secrets of a futuristic science fiction, all told with the hot, gritty, and passion-filled dark vision noir is famous for. All new stories by Laurel K. Hamilton, David Weber, Larry Correa, Robert Butner, Sarah A. Hoyt, Mike Massa, Casey Azell, Griffin Barber, Hinkley Korea, and more. Thanks, Griff. That was good. Thank you. It started a little. And for rough. those of us who've been, you did good. And for those of us who've been part of many and more um, pairings, uh, we appreciate you adding a little emphasis to that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure they're they're grateful. So before before we lost you for a second, Hinkley, one of the things I wanted to ask is so we we mentioned or to piggyback on what Casey was saying with, uh, with experience required to sort of make this believable. Do you feel like growing up uh, working? Cause your, your dad has talked publicly that you helped him as a kid with his business. You've gone to the cons with him. You, you've, you know, worked as customer service and I swear customer service can beat the soul out of anyone. So, I mean, that's already a start. Do you feel like that affects your ability to, to put yourself in the, in the characters you're writing in a setting like noir? Yeah, because it's one of the big things I think about, like, the detectives, the main characters, is that they're all, like, workers. Like, they're all willing to go out and do the job that people, most people do not want to do. If it's not out of personal obligation, it's because of they got to pay rent. And, like, I have been there. <laughs> And, and also, any kind of customer service job, you're going to get a rapid appreciation of just what gaping buttholes people can be, even the nicest person that might be otherwise just great. When their toes are tread upon or they feel that their uh, rights are being infringed, oh boy, does the butthole come out. <laughs> Having worked my way through college doing customer service, that's absolutely true of most of humanity. Yeah. Right, All right. So, putting it nicely. <laughs> so, are like there common just... tropes or? Go ahead. Oh, normally it's just coupons, but. <laughs> this is true. That's a whole new subset of humanity. Like, if you want to put an archetype, the the couponer would be up there. We might have to do a, a podcast on the uh, fireside chat on, on archetypes of people. But uh, speaking of back to noir, do you think there are common tropes that are that are either have to be there or just are uh, intrinsic to the genre? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. But I want to hear Hinkley's answer first. Well, I 
I Sorry, really girl. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> but she will. Very good. Uh, yeah, I think I think there are tropes that definitely exist that, like, they're not required, but they kind of find their way into one more story. Like, there's always going to be a detective or somebody who's searching out the mystery. Mm-hmm. And there's always going to be bad guys and crime and moral ambiguity. And like just and there's always like rain and bad weather. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's not something we didn't even talk about, but yeah, the atmosphere of it yeah. is, is one of the big things. And and uh, again, how they accomplished that in the early noir films was oh it's raining? Great. <laughs> yeah. That foreshortens the scene. It's, uh, you know, it covers up a lot of the blemishes in the background or uh, the anachronisms or anything else like that. We can yeah. get rid of it by having rain in the background and just the one light. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, I, I could, could you tell a noir story without without any of the tropes? I said I would say no because it, it wouldn't be a noir story. It would wouldn't be, be identifiable anyway. Yeah, it would be some other kind of story. Yeah. Um, it's like saying, can you can you tell a a romance story without any interpersonal relationships? Not not really because it's a different it's a different kind of story then you know. Um, can you tell a noir story without using all of the tropes? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And can you subvert them and use them in new and interesting ways? Absolutely. Once again, look at who framed Roger Rabbit, right? The femme fatale in that one is a classic archetypical femme fatale. And yet she's 100% loyal to her husband. And, um, you know, she has that great line about I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way, which is exactly how you make it work for a kid's show for a kid's movie, which is, believe it or not, what it is, you know, even though it's also great for adults. So no. I'm not a huge sure. fan. <laughs> you didn't like Who Framed Roger Rabbit? I, I, I didn't say that. I said I'm just not a huge fan. It, it for me, it was a little too. It was a little too much. I like my I like my anime to be anime and my 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 real people to be real people. Okay. But right. but having said that, yeah, it certainly it used those uh, just fiercely and continuously, it can, you know, repeatedly and. The, the kind of murky things that were going on uh, within the, the causing and, and uh, causality and responses for the people of the characters was all there. Yeah. It absolutely is. Uh, you know, I just visually, it just it was too, too jarring for me. Well, that's fine. That's yeah. You're, you're allowed to have your own opinion, Griff. <laughs> <I know. laughs> and um, you have her permission to say so. Yeah, the uh, uh, but yeah, there's there's been you know, like I I introduced I think Casey I introduced mm-hmm. her to Mulholland Falls, great movie, um, which is the really the the it is straight up the closest we've come to noir to my mind than in the modern films, uh, which is part of the reason why it hasn't gotten much play uh, because at the end uh, he doesn't get the guy the gal he doesn't. Uh, you know, he basically all he has left is this job. His friends are either dead or, or dying. It's just really pretty miserable ending, but he did everything the way he said he was going to do it. And he got to the core of the mystery uh, and dealt with that, that core of that mystery. But now he's left with the fallout from it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, despite the personal cost, the incredible personal cost of what he's doing, he still did it anyway. And for me, that's the biggest single trope is that, again, personal cost, regardless of that cost, according to a code, doing the right thing. And in, and in his case, he's trying to do the right thing, even though the initiating instance was doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's really, uh, yeah, you can use a lot of the tropes. And it, just as Casey said, if you if you don't use some of them, no problem. Uh, and really, a lot of it boils down to how people make the connections in their heads, right? Yeah. Uh, you leave it for them to decide uh, how it all really worked out. I think for me, the most essential thing in a noir story is has got to be the acknowledgement 
that no one's ever perfectly clean. None of the characters are ever completely without ulterior motive. We're all pure as the driven snow. Right, right. You know, I mean, there are degrees, certainly, you know, um, because you can have innocence in a, in a noir story. But certainly your, your protagonist, your main character, and the, the most important side characters, I think, have to have some of that same light and shadow, you know, and I, I, I sound like I'm repeating myself, but it is, it's just such a perfect metaphor. And I think, I think that's one of the reasons also why I love the genre so much is because you get that visual metaphor every time you watch a noir film or, uh, you know, a, a, a noir um, anime, or every time you read a noir story and the author is telling you about, you know, the lines of shadow that cross across the woman's face as a car passes by the office window, you know? Yeah, and the, the, that's one of the things we haven't really touched on is that it's also kind of, an, one of the things about it is it's a little bit of an intensely urban uh, genre as well. Yeah. Uh, it tends to, you know, in many of the cases, the, the city becomes a character in and of itself or the, that urban environment, the neighborhood kind of thing, Chinatown, um, you know, uh, and again, uh, LA Confidential, uh, all, all of James Elroy's stuff set in LA is all about that. Yeah. Um, and, and the character and the police department, they all yeah. kind of evolve as the years go by. Uh, and as the stories go go through, but yeah, and, and, and I can't remember who. To, there's some Vegas ones too. Yeah, same kind of thing where it's you know, it's obvious what's going on there is a, uh, the city is a character because it informs like how people talk, uh, you know, that kind of thing too. So, in uh, Max Allen Collins is a um, very famous mystery writer, and he's got a long running, terrific noir series. Um, called I, I think it's called the Nate Heller Mysteries, uh, um, but the, the main character is Nate Heller. And he's a Chicago detective starting in like the 20s and going forward from there. Um, and one of the things, you know, speaking of, of the versatility of noir, one of the things that he does that's really interesting with this series is the mysteries in each book are actual real life unsolved mysteries. Um, you know, like uh, who killed... Um, what's the, the guy's name? Anton, Anton Chermak or Cermak. I don't know how to say it, but he was a mayor of mm. um, Chicago yeah. who was murdered. Mm -hmm. And um, I think someone, someone was arrested and went to prison for the murder, but almost everyone agrees that that guy was just a patsy, <laughs> you know, like just a scapegoat. So politics at its best. Right. Yeah, exactly. Killer. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so it's, it's that kind of thing that like, you know, because the undercurrent and the underbelly of society and structure is um, is so much at play, you know, like Griffin said, it lends itself to that urban environment. And and it's so unique to each individual urban environment, um, you know, so Nate Heller's mysteries couldn't take place in anywhere other than Chicago, you know, because um, you're dealing with Capone and you're dealing with, you know, Frank Needy and you're dealing with, um, you know, that whole. That yeah, and, and Hinckley's story doesn't work outside of Japan, urban Japan. No, yeah, it's you know it it works in Tokyo. That's that that's where it has to be, you know. So um, that's exactly why for our third Noir anthology that um, we're working on, the the focus of it is actually the archetype of the Noir city and how do we work the city into those, um, in our case, science fiction and fantasy, you know, um, Noir stories. So. A little teaser for you. So, sounds good. We'll have to have you back to uh, to talk about that anthology when it comes out. So, uh, we'll start with you, Hingley. Do you have a favorite trope when you're writing or reading noir stories? Uh, personally, I really like, uh, like I said, like the bad weather. Like bad weather and like neon lighting. Because those just are cool together. But I feel like those are some of like the bigger like some big atmospheric parts for like the atmosphere. So how, how do you differentiate that from the same thing you get out of cyberpunk? The neon lighting and the bad weather. Well, sometimes they're not too far apart. 
It's just kind of setting. Yeah, some cyberpunk is noir. Very noir. Okay. Yeah, I would argue that cyberpunk okay. is a, is another is a, is another subgenre of noir, honestly. Okay. What about you, Griff? Do you have a favorite? Yeah. Uh, I, I think I've favorite? already declared it. I've already declared it. It's it's basically my favorite is is has to do with the, the regardless of the cost, I'm going to adhere to these values, uh, and uh, do what's what I consider to be the right thing. It may not be the legal thing. It may not even be the moral thing for the rest of society. But for me, according to my guidelines and the way I want to live my life and how I'll be able to sleep with myself or not or the love I bear for the person that I'm trying to save from the situation. It's all good. I, I love that. And, and that, cause that's what reality is like, it, you know, you, you make your decisions and you have to live with them. Uh, you have to continue on despite what it is you're feeling or how uh, you feel that you might've gotten a wrong deal. You just got to continue going on making your decisions the best way you know how. And that for me is a, a, a healthy exploration as a writer. Uh, of those concerns and difficulties in life. Okay, what about you, Casey? Do you have a favorite trope when you're when you're reading or writing noir? So I, I I kind of. Oh my gosh! Hang on, I forgot how to breathe. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. Um. <coughs> oh, excuse me one second. I'm so sorry, guys. You are absolutely okay. Getting used to the uh, allergens of America is probably taking some some changes for you. Yeah, no. Um, like Griffin said, I I kind of already alluded to to I, I'm going to give you two. Okay, one that's one that's on a like story story structure overall thematic level, and one that's more like Hinkley's that where it's like this is a a um, a piece of the atmosphere that I like to include. Um, and so the first one, like I said, um, it, it was already the, the recognition that no one in the story is operating purely out of dis, you know, unselfish motives, um, that, that everyone has some kind of ulterior motive, um, you know, whatever, whether that motive is is good or bad or you know however however you want to define that nobody's completely upfront about their intentions um i love that because i think that that's very true to humanity um you know i think we all kind of we all have our own ulterior motives that we keep very close hold and don't share with anyone or share with only you know a select few um so yeah, so I love to include that. And then the other thing is I love, well, gosh, it's, it's hard to choose. Um, but one of them is um, backseam stockings, a, uh, the, a femme fatale wearing backseam stockings. Um, you know, you know what I'm talking about when I say that, right? Like the stockings that have yep. coming up the back. Um, Was it that which is very, very, it's very much a, a, a thing of that time period because we don't have to have back seam stockings now. We can buy, you know, stockings that don't have any seams that are visible. Um, but but it's that aesthetic is very, um, that and like the 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 idea of, I, I talked about the shadow shadowy lines across the woman's face um, or a um, fedora brim kind of as a woman is, looking down, kind of cutting across her face, which the more I'm thinking about it, the more those, those things kind of go together because, you know, the lines across the face really do indicate that like something's not right. Something is untrue or un, um, inauthentic about this individual. So, sorry, I'm getting all English majory again on you, but... <laughs> <laughs> the, we all got to recover from our days as English okay, majors. I get it. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's it's absolutely okay. I'm a recovering English major too. I, I feel you. Crazy. <laughs> so, what about um, character archetypes? This, I mean, we don't have a time for a lot more, so this can be the last one from me, and I'll let you guys go. Are there any common character archetypes that are required, or at least common in noir? Well, I, mean, I, I mentioned already the antagonist. The, there are some that are helpful, right? Uh, and Hinckley said the uh, the investigator, 
the character who's trying to find out what's going on. You know, it doesn't have to be a, a private eye, but that is the like the really the sine qua non of the of the uh, the trope. This is that they're going to be a private a private investigator and, and drink too much, smoke too much, and don't have enough sleep, and probably used to be a member of the department, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, there there has to be an investigator. There has to be somebody that kind of fills those shoes. I think a truth seeker. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'm a fan of characters okay. who their like faction doesn't match up with their morals, like corrupt cops or like good mm. gang members. Yes. Yeah, I like that. That's very cool, yeah. Yeah. I so my favorite character archetype in all of noir is the femme fatale. Um, because I think that she's uh, she's just, it's fascinating. It's a fascinating representation of a woman with her own motives, um, who in a lot of cases, most cases I would say, is willing to do pretty much whatever it takes to achieve the, you know, her desired ends, whatever they happen to be. And and has her own power on all and the levels. Power, yeah. And uses all of them on all the levels to do what it is that they want to do. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So, I mean, that's that's the reason why you know we started this whole anthology journey is because I was like, "Hey, I really like this character. Let's get a bunch of stories about her," you know, <laughs> in all her different incarnations. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I think, I think, the, I think the, the. Go ahead. I think the interpretations of the femme fatale is also is also super neat because, like, just within noir fatale, like everybody had a wildly different interpretation of the femme fatale like some were bad guys some were the protagonists some were like undoubtedly good guys yes yeah yeah and some were some were bad guys and the protagonists and still but they yeah. had reasons for doing what they were doing kind of. yeah bob butner's femme fatale was a 13 year old girl and it was brilliant it was brilliantly done um hinkley's femme fatale blew me away it was it was so good yeah yeah, that's it. So if you're if you're as curious as I am how a 13-year-old girl can fit the trope of the femme fatale, you need to go check this anthology out. So I will link it as a show sponsor in the show notes. So check it out because now I'm curious too. It's so um, good. But it's, so I think part of it is if you understand, like this is where you know I triple majored in English history and poli sci. So you get the sort of total package of where the film genre came from that spawned everything else. And the femme fatale was really a woman clawing her agency out of a more patriarchal time. So it sort of makes sense. How do you carry that forward in a more egalitarian society? There's always going to be women with ulterior motives, just as there's always going to be men with ulterior motives. Um, and regardless of how egalitarian our society ever gets, as long as there are people who are physically, sexually attracted to a woman, there will be women willing to use her ability to attract people's attention for those means, you know, in, in support of those motives that she is keeping under wraps. I and I think the same is true of men, but we're talking about the femme fatale. So I thought of another trope though, JR. Can I, can I, can I backtrack just a little Absolutely. bit? Absolutely. One of the things that we didn't mention is probably of, of pretty uh, a fair amount of interest to your listeners specifically is that m most of these most of these heroes, these sort of anti-hero gray knight types that we talk about in No Game for Knights um, that end up being the protagonists of these noir stories, most of them are, are military veterans or war veterans of some kind. Um, so you have people who are way more comfortable with violence as you know just a facet of life than your your quote-unquote normal everyday person would be and I think that 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 informs a lot of the the narratives that we see in the genre too because you know once you understand that you're like Oh, okay. I think it was Raymond Chandler who was talking about writing, and he he said that when you're stuck, that's when the guys with guns burst in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, that was kind of like you know, hey, I'm not really sure what's going to happen, but I'll, I'll just insert this action sequence here and how the characters respond to the 
to violence is mm-hmm. going to inform what I'm what I'm doing. I'm not sure if that was Chandler, but I think it was. I think you were. I think you're right. I think it was. You know. But the That's yeah, the veterancy aspect of it is also one of those things that is uh, intrinsic to it because it happens to be part of what in, informs what they are now, mm-hmm. uh, and you know how they interact with their environment and their world uh, yeah. and challenges. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, so I've pr- been promising you, dear listener, dear viewers, that uh, we try to keep the uh, episodes from going long. And I know that's been especially hard since our two to date our longest episode ever is Casey at, at <laughs> clocking in at two and a half hours. Uh, I didn't think anyone would beat uh, the good Mister Doctor Doctor Cannon, but uh, but you beat him by three seconds. So Mazel Tov. But uh, before we let you go, we want a fun question. I had fun, so. Uh, we wanted a fun question for the road. So thinking about either ones you've written or ones you've consumed um, of all the noir universes, are there any you'd be willing to live in since uh, some of them are pretty dark places? We already do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Griffin? Uh, I, I probably wouldn't mind living in Last Stop Station's uh, uh, world. Uh, it's, it's got its, uh, you know, its problems. Uh, but that kind of advanced technology and being in contact with alien races and stuff like that would be pretty cool to me. Okay. Hinkley. Uh, I could cheat and say the whole Marlowe, uh, Raymond Chandler. Cause it's just now it's just, it's just our universe now. So it probably wouldn't be too different. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We already live in a noir universe. It's just some people recognize it and some don't. All right. On that happy note, uh, we're going to let you tell us where listeners and viewers can find you on the Wild Wild Interrupts. And we're going to start just go around Robin Hinckley. Where can they find you if they want to find out more about what you're doing? Uh, for right now, it's just Facebook at Hinckley Korea and on Instagram at Audio Porpoise. I, I do in to dig a porpoise so that's that's very i'm digging it all right and those links will be in the show notes next uh mr griffin barber so uh the links are going to be at the end of this so uh but on the internet generally i'm on facebook quite a bit i'm on twitter and frequently and uh i have uh anthology work coming out uh december 8th i've got a story in uh world's long lost which Yay! is uh, an homage to a friend of mine who passed away last year. Uh, and I actually worked in another friend who passed away the year before that. And I worked in uh, a mutual friend of Casey and I, Tara Urbanek. Uh, she uh, paid for a Tuckerization. Uh, and I put her in. She's a, a chief, uh, a Space Navy chief, uh, and uh, comes to an end there. Uh, and then I've got uh, the third uh, story that I wrote for... Um, uh, the city that never sleep. What is it? City never sleeps. Down, down these mean streets. streets. Yeah, down these mean streets was the third uh, noir anthology that Casey's putting together and Larry are, are putting together. Um, and uh, I have another uh, petty necromancy story in there with uh, my necromancer protagonist from the noir fatales uh, story. You guys, it is so good. It is so good. She is such a killer femme fatale, which is, I guess, redundant. But there you have it. <laughs> All right. And last but not least, uh, Miss Casey Ezell, can you tell listeners and viewers where they can find you? Yeah, you can find me uh, on my website at caseyezell.net or .com. Either one will get you there. Um, in uh, highly recommend you go there. And then there's a link for like free stories. And then um, that link will take you to a newsletter website or newsletter sign up page. So you can sign up for my newsletter where you'll get updates from me weekly about what's going on, what I'm writing. Um You'll also, uh, you can find me on YouTube at Casey Ezell Writer Life. Um, and uh, uh, I'll do, again, videos about my life as a writer there. Um, uh, I'm also on Instagram at, at Casey Ezell and Facebook at Casey Ezell. So. And uh, if the sponsor um, was interesting to you, if the uh, if the Noir Fatale anthology, uh, there is still time to order before Christmas. So you, you have the, the rest of the month, people. So. So do your part and give a gift of eternal knowledge by letting people read. So, uh, and I'll try to think of something wittier to say next time when I tell you to buy books for people because it's good for them. <laughs> but uh, 
you can find us on Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com again, blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast. If you enjoyed this discussion, you have more questions for the guests or you have more questions you want us to ask where we maybe do a round two on noir. Be sure to do that in the, uh, in the discussion section on the uh, Facebook group, or you can email the show or you can comment when it posts on YouTube, but, uh, but participate. We, we love it when you do. We have a website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades, where you can help support the show for as little as 99 cents a month. You can help keep the lights on, or you can support the show more directly at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast. And I promise I will keep my co-hosts, the absentee Nick Garber and Doc Seska, duly caffeinated. They will drink until their liver explodes. <laughs> so on that happy note, thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For the absentee Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Handley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go Boom. Thank you guys for coming. This was a lot of fun. You made my job easy. Thanks, JR. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs>